We're going to start reading with verse 19. It's so good to see you all here this morning, everybody's smiling face. Amen. We love you this morning and glad you're in the house of God. Our visitors this morning, we welcome you. We had a lady come in the first service, and uh, Sister Delia told me her name. I can't not remember, uh, even though she just told me an hour ago. But uh, I, uh, she come to the altar, got in the altar, and wept and cried. You know, uh, one soul's worth the wealth of the world. One soul's worth the wealth of the world. And so I'm grateful that God shows up, amen, where two or three are gathered in His name. He's in the midst. Praise God, and I, by what I understand, whoever this uh, dear lady is, she's a very uh, prominent person in the city. A lot of people know her, and so I said, praise the Lord, amen. The police know we're here. The mayor knows we're here. Amen. The, the, the homeless, uh, you know, part, uh, the people that, over, that oversee and run the, the, the homeless resources from the city know we're here. Amen. My son went to high school with uh, uh, one of the men that, that works in that department. And so they know we're here. And the devil knows we're here. Praise God. And so I'm thankful this morning that Jesus is here. And I'm just glorifying him this morning. And I want to preach a message this morning. And uh, in John 20, verse 19, the scripture says this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then uh, were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I know there's two or three other, two other places where it's recorded in Luke and, and Matthew where Jesus showed his scars. He showed uh, his hands and his side. In fact, the account of Thomas uh, also as well. He said, Except I... See his scars, except I see them, I'll not believe and put my hand in his side. Well, Jesus walked through the walls and he said, I'm here, Thomas. I've come to tell you right now, I'm alive. Amen? I'm alive and see my scars. See where, where uh, I was pierced, you know? And so I've, I've, I've got a message this morning I'm preaching entitled Scars. Just simply Scars. Let's pray over the Word of God. Father, we thank you today. And we pray your blessing upon this word. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would have your perfect will and way. And we'll give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. The Bible says that um, the Holy Spirit, we see here, inspired this passage in the word of God. And it was one of the first notated things that Jesus showed his disciples after the resurrection. And that was his scars. Think about that for just a minute. Because the Holy Spirit inspired men to write things that were of utmost importance. And there was a reason for them uh, being written. Now scars are what is left behind after a wound has been healed. And in Jesus' case it resounds with the glory of the Lord. 
It resounds with the glory of a resurrected Savior. You know, we don't just preach resurrection on Easter Sunday or on Resurrection Sunday. Every day we should live the resurrected life. Every day we have the power of a resurrected life in Christ Jesus. Every day. And so, but scars are what is left behind after the wound. And Jesus was saying, this is what you need to see. These scars, these wounds that have been healed or have been, you know, through the resurrection have been healed. And scars are what is left behind after a wound's been healed. Scars are the living testimonies of circumstances and events that we have endured and survived. Amen? And Jesus, even more so because his wounds put him to death. But the shout of the healing power of the resurrection we see in those wounds, in those scars. So today as I preach this message unto you, I want you to get what God is trying to say. He who knew no sin became sin. He who endured the cross, the chastisement, the mockery, our judgment, physical pain and death, he seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding with every scar, shouting, It is finished. He's seated. Come on, church, don't sit on me. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and those scars are still in his hands. That scar is still in his side. He still has the nail prints in his feet of a scar, and they're resounding to you and I today that the work for redemption is finished. Amen. There's power in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His scars are eternally important. And if anybody knows about scars, especially our scars and how they influence and shape our lives, it's Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus. He understands about our scars. All scars, whether they're physical or emotional or mental or spiritual, have a story behind them always. Every scar has a story. I have several scars on my body. When I was seven years old, I had a bike accident, and I have a scar right here on my, on my forearm because my cousin told me that you can ride a bike without holding the handlebars while you're moving. Well, you know what I found out? That you can if you're riding on blacktop. That that don't work on gravel. So I took my hands off on gravel and went boom, 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 right off the side of the road into a barbed wire fence and cut my arm. I got stitches and I got a scar. When I was 12, I had a friend, a neighborhood friend, that threw a log. We were throwing fetch. For a, we were throwing a, a log playing fetch with a neighborhood dog. And we were there about 15 or 20 minutes, but then I said, I got to go home. So I started to go home, and I got from about here about to the back of the church. And my friend said, John, look out. And that big old log that that dog was catching and fetch, I turned around and it hit me in the head. I got a scar right here on my head. I know I got my, my hair combed over in that Church of God kind of haircut. And I'm trying to hide that scar. But I got a scar there, and it has a story behind it. It has a story behind it. I'm telling you, the devil's been trying to knock my block off for many years. Amen. Think about it for just a second. You know, I got hit in the head. I fell and hit my head. I got hit in a head-on head collision here two years ago and had a concussion. I'm telling you, he's trying to take out your pastor. But I can tell you that if God's not done with you, there's not a devil in hell that can kill you. But we all have scars. And there's a story behind every scar. 
And the physical scars can not be hidden because they're very much on the external. But oftentimes we have internal scars and emotional scars and we do a very good job of trying to hide them. But I want to tell you today that the day that you realize that people need to see the scars of what God has done in your life and brought you through, they will bring the greatest healing and the greatest blessing to somebody else. Amen. I learned in the last two years that when scars are exposed, something happens. And I'm going to tell you what happens. We stop focusing on the pain and God activates the power of healing through our life. He heals us and He begins to bring healing to other people. Jesus is our forerunner to this pattern and our text proves it. He said, come, behold my scars. Behold these scars. Don't be afraid today, saint of God, to share with somebody what God has brought you through because your testimony and victory will be somebody else's testimony and victory. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. In Hebrews 11, it tells us of the great cloud of witnesses. And we see and know their scars. You can read the story of the patriarchs and see what Moses went through. See what Noah went through. See what many went through in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And you read and see the scars of even the Apostle Paul. He said, I fought the beast of Ephesus. But I can tell you, he ran his race. He kept the faith. And he fought a good fight. And awaiting him and and everyone that loves his appearing is a crown of righteousness he didn't say a Mercedes Benz he didn't say a brand new big old 5,000 square foot home he didn't say a million dollars in your bank account but he said awaiting you and I is a crown of righteousness if you're not living for Jesus for just the sole reason that you want to make heaven your home and bring him glory you need to get born again amen There is an identification and benefit of healing when the scars are seen. People have to see the scars. There's a blessing that comes from the scars. Too many people live at a place, and I'm sharing with you this morning, they live at a place where they're only focused upon the wound, but my God in heaven, He's a healer. He's a healer. And there's a benefit and a blessing that comes out of that healing. And those scars, everybody's got scars, but they speak something. There was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford, and the people in the first service know what I'm saying. But most of you have no idea who Horatio Spafford was. But he was a Chicago lawyer who lost all of his properties in the year 1871 in the Chicago fire. If you study history, you know there was a fire in Chicago, a very bad one. And he lost everything. As a Christian, he lost that. In 1873, a couple years later, he sent his wife and his daughters on a sea voyage. And four of his daughters drowned in a boating accident as they were sailing across the sea. 
He had a horrific scars of tragedies and, and great calamities and things that happened in his life. But he didn't sit, sit in a corner and pine away and become a recluse. But he began to put his faith and trust in the scar bearer. Amen. And not only that, but his great faith in the scar bearer brought about, you know, great healing through the tragedies of life. And he wrote a hymn. And this is how that hymn goes when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul he was a man who wrote songs about how good God is and that no matter what you go through you may lose everything you may lose your own family but it can be well and it is well with with you in your soul when you put your faith and trust in the one who took your wounds, took your pain, took your sin, and bore your burden. Fanny Crosby lost her sight at eight, at six weeks of age. She was just a newborn baby, lost her sight from treatment of a sickness that she had. Her father died when she was six months old. She was raised. In abject poverty, in a poverty-stricken slum in New York City, she learned throughout her life music at a school and eventually as an adult married a blind man just like she was blind. She married a blind man. And they had a daughter who was birthed, but shortly after she was born, she died of typhoid fever. And then Fanny Crosby's blind husband became a recluse. He became a hermit. He just pined away and he never became anything that we read about. But Miss Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns. Amen. He'll turn your circumstance and your tragedies into a song about the goodness of God. That's right. He will. And Fanny Crosby wrote the beautiful song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation purchased by God. Born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. And she sang this is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. And I'll be praising my Savior all the day long. Church, God brings us through and we have scars, but those scars represent something. There's a story. God did a great work in our lives and He brought us through in victory. Calvary's cross serves as, serves as a reminder that scars get real messy. Jesus' human body suffered. He felt deep physical pain, rejection, abandonment, ridicule, and humiliation on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He didn't die because he had to die for himself. He died for you and I. He died for our salvation. He died for our soul. Amen. And just remember this. Because people will say things, dumb things like, you know, you know, 
they say things like God, you know, uh, hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He does. I don't mean to say that that was done. What I'm trying to do is correct something. Because let me tell you something. Your sin doesn't go to hell. The soul that sin does. You hear me? Sin doesn't go to hell. It's the soul that has sinned, that hasn't embraced redemption and salvation is who goes to hell and what hell is there for. Amen. Your sins are just a, 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 you know, a product of a life that's in rebellion against God. But when we come in alignment with God, He can take those things, amen, and begin to wash away the sin, wash away the pain, wash away and cleanse and heal all of the hurts. I don't care what you've been through. God can do it, and He will do it. And he, there may be a scar, but praise God. It's just a sign that you come through in healing virtue. So Calvary serves as a reminder of that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we were healed. We were healed. Isaiah says we are healed. But the finished work is in Peter when he said we were healed. It's accomplished. I know that it represents salvation and redemption and atonement. Don't come up to me and say, well, he's not talking about physical healing. Yes, he is. He most certainly is. He is a healer. And we can claim the promises in the blood of Jesus. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I've been healed. I've been healed. I've been healed. That same blood that will save you is the same blood that will heal you. The same blood that will save you is the same blood that will deliver you. The same blood, amen, that saves you is the same blood you can plead when the devil comes in like a flood. When he comes in and tries to bombard your mind and tell you you're not worthy or tell you, you know, bring thoughts. Come on. Just yesterday I laid in that floor just bombarded with thoughts. Man, the devil's on the attack. But I can tell you today, my Jesus already kicked his teeth in. So I got down and I said, Lord, the only thing I have to have a testimony is the blood of the Lamb. The only thing I have to overcome is the blood of the Lamb. And today I'm pleading the blood. I'm pleading the blood. I'm pleading the blood. I'm pleading the blood. And it was like something just... Amen. God said, get out of here. Get out of his mind. Get out of his thoughts. Get your hands off of his emotions. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. My God. Jesus was marred more than any man. Think about it. He was beat with 39 stripes and the that was the Jews' amount for a, you know, a, a, a beating. That was their punishment, 39 stripes. Uh, but we know that the Romans could have beat him uh, with more stripes. But the Bible's silent on that. We don't hear how many stripes. We assume or we know that it's no less than 39 stripes. But on that whip was nine braided leather bands. 
And on that whip, in those bands, were pieces of sharp bone, pieces of metal, pieces of rock. And whenever they beat Jesus and they ripped the skin off of his back, he wasn't beaten with 39 stripes. He was beaten 39 times 9. 351 stripes in total. I'm telling you, he shed his blood for you. He took our beating. He took our beating for our healing. By his stripes, you and I are healed. My God. Think about it. He was nailed, crowned with thorns, pierced in his side. People are always saying, you know what? You need to preach on the end times. You need to preach on the Antichrist. You need to preach on this. You need to preach on that. You need to preach all of that prophecy that the church needs to hear. I said the thing that Revelation and everything in Daniel and Matthew 24 tells us is that the most important thing is that we are prepared. Amen? That's why all those scriptures are there. Not so that we can go through and get some theological brain smartness or education or intelligence, but that we're prepared. And we're coming into a season, a dark season. I know we're heading in that direction. You're going to see food shortages. You're going to see anarchy in the future. It's coming, church. It's on the horizon. We're right there on the precipice of it. But I know this much. The only thing that matters in those times is that we know in whom we have believed that we have that trust in the power and the blood of Jesus and our conquering Savior. Because he said, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. So we got to have an overcoming testimony. But we got to have a testimony, amen, that says, though he slay me, I will trust him. Though he takes my life, I'm going to serve him anyway. Oh, listen Jesus had many scars. And their testimony, they are a testimony and the basis of our testimony. He brought peace as he said, behold my scars. Behold them. Peace was released in that moment. Did you hear me? Peace was released in that moment. I have prayed for people that were a nervous wreck. They were so agitated and anxious and this and that. I'm going to share it and I don't think she'll care. Amen. And I, I, I've always learned just ask forgiveness instead of permission. But it's a testimony. Just a few years ago, Greg and Inez were in here for prayer meeting. And when they came in, I thought, boy, there's something's wrong. I mean, it's seriously, you could just sense it. And so we went back to the back. And my sister just began to pour her heart out. I mean, she was troubled from the floor up. Amen. Just, just everything. And, and, the, and the Spirit of God come upon me. And I said, you know what? I take authority over this right now in the name of Jesus. I begin to plead the blood. I begin to bind that thing. We begin to pray. And in that room, God began to set her free. And what, what I saw in a moment's time was the peace of God just begin to come over her. The Spirit of God began to come over her. Because even though you may have scars, let me tell you, God knows how to heal those wounds. He knows how to bring you through and not get you focus on the scars but get your focus on the scar bearer 
She's praising God because she knows she was there. And you know what? The devil may come again and try to stir up something, but you just pray the same prayer, bleed the same blood, take authority over it. The blood of Jesus. Think about it. You cut yourself. This body, everything that we see in the natural is something that has already come from the, the, from the d- intelligent design of God. The blood goes with everything to coagulate and get to that point where it's bleeding and it begins to scab. And then it begins to heal. And then it becomes a scar. The blood goes right there to address it. Everything that you need. Amen. Some people need to quit picking the scab and let God heal it. That's right, because that's exactly what happens. The scab becomes worse than it should have been in the first place. I got such a big old scab because you wouldn't leave it alone. Let it alone. As a kid, I just sit there and pick at that thing. I got a scab on my knee from where I've picked and picked and picked. Quit picking. Amen. Telling you the truth. Peace was released in the moment that Jesus said, Behold my scars. Everything Jesus did in active ministry will be released from us as well. I just shared it. Inez sat in there and she left in peace. I asked Greg, I said, How's everything been going? A few days later, he said, PJ, from the time we walked out of that door, he said, She's been good. Everything's been good. Amen. The Lord's touched her. She's had peace. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to set the captive free. On one particular facet of scars, I believe God wants me to touch on today. Amen. And brothers and sisters, I know we all have scars. I know we all have scars. And God wants to bring glory through His healing through your life. Amen. He does. He does. And one particular facet of scars I believe God wants me to touch on before I close is the victory over loneliness. Because I believe there's some people sitting here this morning and the Lord prompted me, minister on loneliness because there's people that sit in the church very lonely. Listen, Jesus suffered loneliness. His brothers didn't believe in Him at the beginning. He was asked to leave the Gadarenes. And those people would rather have a demon-possessed man that was cutting himself and scaring the heck out of everybody. They'd, they'd rather have that uh, than, than, than they love their hogs more than they love that man's peace. I can tell you the world doesn't want God's people. He doesn't want people. They don't want people to be at peace. That's why they shove them in a mental ward and put them in a medical hospital and give them pills to knock them out and keep them sedated. I can tell you the church has a prescription for that. It's to lay hands on them and for them to be set free. God didn't call you to be in a mental ward. He didn't call you to have to be on medication so you can make it through the night. The only pill you need is the gospel. Amen. Praise God. But 
The Pharisees couldn't stand him. Jesus, the Samaritans rejected him when he came into their city. They didn't want any of his healing, any of his ministry. And the, the two disciples said, well, just call down fire from heaven. He said, no, we'll go on to another city. You don't even realize what spirit you're of. That's a tragedy. Not that so much that the disciples wanted to take revenge and respond and retaliate, but that they missed their moment, the greatest moment of deliverance and healing. Don't miss your moment because you're so focused on something from the past or even where you're at today. I'm going through it, Pastor. No, you're making it through it. Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him, and all the disciples fled, and the Romans treated him less than human. Even God the Father, because he had to on the cross, forsook him and turned his back on sin. That was part of the punishment. Don't ever forget the darkest hour in history was when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had to. That was hell. He took our punishment of hell. But the grave couldn't hold him. How come the grave couldn't hold him? Well, first of all, because he was the treasure of heaven that God gave for our salvation and our substitute. But nobody belongs in hell that hasn't committed any sin. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. He had no sin. He knew no sin. And I got some more to say, but I just want to say this. If we do not allow the Savior, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute and take our place, we will. Let me give you a prophetic word to you. If you don't take Jesus as your Savior, you will stand before God for your sin. And you can't do anything to gain God's favor or his forgiveness and redemption for your sin. We must come under the blood of Jesus through the perfect, spotless, substitute Savior for us. I've always said that. I always preach it. He is the only way. You know, he said, if anybody tries to go up another way, he's a thief or a robber. You'll get to heaven and stand before God and say, I got here. And he's going to say, yeah, but I'm sending you back. Because you cannot... Work your way to heaven. You cannot do enough good things, enough good deeds, or be as you know, try to be the holiest person to make heaven your home. There's nothing you can do. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That doesn't mean you live a slipshod life. That doesn't mean that, well, you know, by grace I'm saved, so shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul said. Don't even think like that. If that thought crosses your mind, you really need to get in an altar. But every day that you're living for God, that devil's going to come. He's going to bring all kinds of things across your path. But as you're walking before God, you will be walking on top of all of that. And it won't be a work. It'll just be a life. His life living through you. Amen. 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 Oh. His scars proved he took our loneliness. You may feel lonely today. If you're lonely today, Jesus loves you. Listen, we all go through lonely times. Loneliness in a marriage.
people go through loneliness in their marriage. You know, church, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to cause there to be problems or disunity in your marriage. And if he can't get you to do that, then he'll get you to begin to start drifting. That's why you got to stay connected with that spouse. I'm just going to tell you right now, you got to stay. Do you know how when you get away from God at that place that you know is where you're supposed to be and you have the greatest enjoyment and the greatest blessing and you feel the greatest power and you feel the greatest connected, that's that time in prayer. That's, that is like... Brother, Brother Clinton used to say this, and this, I'm just going to use this word because he said it so I can say it, amen. But he said that is intercourse with God. You come and you have that fellowship with God. And, and that's where life comes. That's where life comes. Husband and wife come together. That has to be, that intimacy has to be there. It must be there. Or then you begin to become distant and you begin to drift. Come on. I'm just being honest with you. You know, I've taught on a marriage thing one time, and one of the ladies at the end of the, at the, end of the teaching, she said, well, i got to go home. I know what I'm supposed to do. Amen. She just put it like that. I said, amen. Let's just be honest. Come on. I know. The children are in here. I'm watching myself. You may feel lonely, lonely in your marriage, but I can tell you God knows how to heal that and touch it. Number one. Number one, you got to know that your completeness and your satisfaction is only in Him alone. But there is this natural relationship that we have and natural needs and desires that God put in us that have got to be fed and nurtured. You need to have that good relationship. And I'm just preaching to somebody today if you're, you can be lonely in your marriage, you can be lonely in your home, you can be lonely even amongst your family and church. But church, I want to tell you something. We have to give what we have need of. Amen. You need a hug, give a hug. You need love, give love. Amen. You need a friend, show yourself friendly. Don't tell me everybody's not friendly. You be friendly. Amen. There's somebody in here that will be your friend. Come on. You have to give what you have need of. I realized for a moment, years ago, whenever I was taking care of Aunt Maida, one day she had me going here, there, and yonder. And we went to the store, and we went to the doctor, and we went here, and I got to go over and pick up this, and can we go check on my wigs? And before I knew it, three and a half hours later, I said, Aunt Maida, we got to go home. She said, well, we haven't even been to Coco's yet. And I said, this is a Chick-fil-A day, okay? You understand? We got to drive through. It's my pleasure. Go on home. And I said, Aunt Maida, I said, why, why are we doing all this today? And she said, well, honey, she goes, I just want to tell you. She said, I didn't have to do all this today. She said, but I wanted to be with you. Oh. I said, where's the nearest Coco's? Amen. She said, She said, I don't have anybody but you. You are like my son. 
And she said, I sit over there in that home alone, and I'm lonely. And she said, the older you get, if you ever hear anything I say, the older you get, the fewer people there are around you, and the lonelier, the more loneliness you experience. That's why we have to have this relationship. You cannot, you cannot view or have the perspective of your salvation relationship with God on a, on a, uh, a, a vertical, or, or I'm sorry, a horizontal. It has to be vertical. You, you know, people come and they, they, they see everything wrong here. But whenever everything's right here, a lot of times, most of the time, if not all the time, these things will be bearable and tolerable and you'll get through them when this is right. Somebody may say something about you. It's all right. Amen. I've had people say things about me in the last few months. They didn't just say it to my face. They didn't have that kind of courage to put it on some social media. Going talking smack about me. I never said a word about them. They've talked trash about me. But the Lord said, don't say a word. Keep your mouth shut. I'm the one that fights battles. You didn't do anything biblically wrong. They're saying you did, but you didn't. You had three, three things that you did biblically that were right. You were the pastor. You have every authority to question anything that somebody in leadership or somebody in ministry is doing in that church. I put you as the pastor, and for them to come against you is wrong. But go ahead and blast me on social media. Go ahead. Tear me down, because I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is lifting me up. Amen. Amen. What's tragic is people will say things, and everybody always listens to the side that they heard. They never listen to the other side. They never get to hear the truth. And there's always three sides to the story. Your side, their side, and the truth. And the truth is in the Word of God. And so God said, don't retaliate. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let them say what they want to say. Let them blast you. Let them try to talk about you to people even in the church. But you stand your ground, hold your head up high, and worship and praise me. Because there will come a day when they have to come back to you and apologize. Amen. Listen. Listen to me today. God's trying to say something to us. Loneliness is a real thing. But we are not alone. Because he said in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. I want to read this to you. Stay here with me now. Don't, 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 don't get quiet on me. Amen. But Isaiah 53. The Bible says this in verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. As the body, we are to comfort and console one another. Young people, hear me today. God knows you're lonely. He knows you want a companion. Keep praying and God will bring that person across your path. He didn't say it's not good for man to be alone for just any old reason. He knew. He built us with desires. He built us with cravings. He built us with needs that needed to be met. And if He did that, He 
He will begin to facilitate that need in the lawful will of God. Don't step out of the will of God and try to fulfill it. But wait upon God. But let me tell you, I have great compassion for you because I know you want a companion. I know you want somebody that loves you as much as you love them. I know you want a family. God wants to bless you with that and He will. And all of the folks in here that have relationships, don't forget when you didn't have one and you wanted one. And don't be judgmental towards somebody and say, well, they just need to focus on the Lord. Is that what you were doing when you were looking? You, you see it? Okay, man. Stay here a little while. Yeah. Some of the, the singles are going, hey man, he finally pulled our number today. I hear it all the time. Well, they just need to focus on the Lord. I said, hold on here just a second. You got somebody to put your fire out. Yeah, I said it. I'm real. Hey man, you want me to be real? I'm gonna be real. Hey man, I'm real. I'm gonna be real, Willie. Because we look at we look at the younger generation at, at right now, and we're like, you know what? They just need to focus on the Lord. You know, they just need to. I know we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added. I get that, but when you're there in that moment, especially in this climate. Where it just seems like half the millennials and young adults and young people are zombies. They don't even know. They have no hope. They have, they're just lost. They're not just, they're not just lost. They're lost without any personality. They've lost with no vision, lost with no direction. They're lost, lost, lost. They're not lost just, you know, in their soul, lost in sin. But they're lost with no vision, no hope, no nothing. They don't even have the ambition to do something in the world. They're lost. In this, in this climate that we're in, this, this generation that we're in. And you, you, and you see the young people in the church and they're like, man, you know, I'm, I'm serving God. I'm saved. But, and I want to I live for God and I, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be faithful. But I still, you know, I, I want somebody. Yes. So folks, instead of criticizing them and saying, you know what, you just need to seek the face of God. You need to say, you know what, we're going to pray. God's going to send you the right person. Amen. He's going to send you the right person. He will. He knows what you have need of before you even ask. And he didn't say it's not good for man to live alone, but I'm going to sit back here and watch him just live in torture and try to live for me and have all these feelings and emotions. Amen. you're here today and you're lonely because you've suffered the loss of a child, a parent, a spouse, remember this, God's not uncomfortable around your grief. People may be, but God's not. I don't care how many times it takes to put his arm around you and love you back through that hurt and that pain. 
he'll do it again. I've heard people say, oh, my goodness, within five years, can't they get over that yet? They need to get a victory. Let me tell you something. Some of us in here, we have no idea how it feels to lose somebody so close to you. Amen. So close to you. And God's not uncomfortable around our grief. In fact, he said in Matthew 5, 4, this ought to make you shout. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. That's for sins and tragedies in your life. He's the God who said, mourn with those that mourn and grieve with those that grieve. Amen. I can tell you, my brother and my sister, when you're going through that time where you're remembering that lost loved one, that, that one, that, that loss of a loved one that went home. Amen. God sees your tears. He sees your pain. And he said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Quote that scripture and say, Lord, I need your comfort right now. I can't explain to you how God does it, but he does. Oh, yes, he does. You got to let him. Amen. And in Psalms, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61 Verse 3, it says this, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. God wants to heal all areas of our life. And those scars, they're just representative of something that God brought you through. And for those who are mourning the death of a relationship, because there's all kinds of loneliness. Loneliness in my pursuit. Loneliness of someone that's passed away. Loneliness of a relationship that's completely, you know, seems like it's dissolved. And I can tell you that sometimes is even a greater stress and harder because you have all of these what ifs. The grave is final, at least in this life. But the things that are still alive and walking around... You're still wondering a lot of things. And they can cause a lot of mourning. They can cause prolonged stress and pain and loneliness. Because unlike physical death, oftentimes you don't have closure. You may feel a myriad of emotions. Should I hold on? Should I go on? What should I do? I can tell you, let God heal you. Because people feel a lot of things. They feel the loss of self-esteem. It suffers. Concentration is scattered everywhere. Amen. You have guilt and feelings of am I good enough? Will somebody ever want me again? Proverbs 18.14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. In the, in the uh, contemporary English version, and I don't normally quote this, but it was so good. He said, Being cheerful helps when you're sick. But nothing helps when you give up. It's a wounded spirit. A wounded spirit. The only hope for a wounded spirit is the healing from the nail-scarred hand. He says it in Psalms 147, verse 3, that he knows how to heal the broken heart and heal the wounded, bind them up. One day I needed a word from God. 
And the Lord said, I want you to start reading in Psalms. And you know, I'm always trying to figure out, should I go to the first Psalm and start? Because I'm just, that's just the way I am. Or should I go to the middle? And just like that, the Lord said, I want you to go to the back and work your way this way. I said, what? So I sat down. I'm going through something. I sat down. And I began to read. And I started going backwards. Backwards. And I got into that 147 Psalm. Wasn't very long. Before I got into it, and I read that, he knows how to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds of a broken heart. Jesus died for a broken heart. Amen. He died for a broken heart. And he has scars. And you know, church, do you know the greatest thing that I have ever learned as a Christian that has helped me has not been the messages that where they dangled me over hell and we need that but they were the messages that spoke of how much God loved us and it, it puts a fear and a, a conscience a spiritual conscience down in you to say how could I hurt my Lord he said if you love me you will keep my commandments it, that is, I don't look at that as a charge. Like, if you love me, like a challenge, you'll keep my commandments. No, I look at it like this. If you love me, you'll want to keep my commandments. You will. Because you'll say, Lord, like the old song, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Does he hear the crowd cry crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I realize I've got to change. Because I can't bear the thought of hurting him. Folks, he has scars for a reason. And he showed them. So that not only would we know there's healing in them. But that he had to pay a great price. So let us do everything we can do. By the power of God and the grace of God and obedience unto God. To live this life pleasing and overcoming through what he paid for. And those scars, you will be able to say, look, he died and he healed me. And if he healed me, he can heal you. Wounds become scars, but there is the great physician and healer that can make you whole. Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless, but I will send you the comforter. And the comforter has come. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost for power. We need the Holy Ghost so that we have the, 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 the prayer in tongues. We can, we can pray and be edified in our spirit, but we need the Spirit of God so we can be comforted and we can be healed. That's what He does. He's a comforter. Father God, I thank you today. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your healing. You're a good, good father. And Lord, today I've preached what I felt like you wanted me to preach. And I'm just simply asking you now at this point, God, to come and to minister in this altar today.